Gather and Gain Prophecy Times podcast. We are here for another Wednesday and another look into God's Word and more specifically into the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, the bookend, if you will, of the Bible. We're up to chapter 9 today and that means we're in episode 10 of our Revelation series. So chapter 9, Love for you to open now if you haven't already. Grab your Bibles, open it up to Revelation chapter 9. We're going to work through chapter 9. We are at the fifth and the sixth trumpet judgment. So we've gone on a long journey. Uh, We've come through the first six seal judgments and we've entered into the seventh seal judgment, which reveals the seven trumpet judgments. So that's a mouthful. Seventh seal judgment opens up, if you will, the seven trumpet judgments. Last week, we looked at the first four trumpet judgments. Uh, Now, just to clarify, the first four trumpet judgments were a third of the vegetation being wiped out, uh, a third of uh, the ocean, the salt water being wiped out, and the creatures and the uh, boats that were on it. Then a third of the uh, fresh water uh, was wiped out. And then there was a time where for a third of the day uh, and presumably the night, the sun and the uh, moon and, uh, and the stars were darkened for, uh, for that time. So that's one, two, three, four trumpets. And today we hit trumpet five and trumpet six. And at the end of last week, we looked at chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 13, and it says this, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 three woes to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So the three woes are the final three trumpets. Trumpet 5 six and seven. Uh, We are going to look at five and six today. So woe number one and woe number two. All right. Hopefully by now you've got the Bible open to Revelation 9 starting at verse one. Let's read together. Fifth trumpet. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Now just pause you there. Sometimes the star can, the word star can refer to different things depending on the context. If you go back to verse 10 of chapter 8, uh, I believe that that's referring to some kind of meteor or comet or of the like. Uh, and likewise, I think in, no, no, that's it in this area. So verse 10 of, of chapter 8, the word star there, I believe, refers to uh, some kind of comet or meteor. But here and in else, uh, in other places throughout Scripture, the word star or stars refers to angels. And I believe that that is what this is referring to here. And I think the two words that help us identify that uh, are the next two words uh, that I'm going to read. And that is, to him. Notice in, chapter, uh, in verse 1 it says, And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Full stop. To him, personalize it, identifies this star as being a him, a person, a being, rather than a, a thing, an object, a part of 
uh, creation in that sense. So to him, to the angel, uh, was given the key to the bottomless pit. Okay, the bottomless pit, what is that? Uh, the, the word in the Greek uh, simply means the abyss or the abysso. Um, so the abyss is what it's referring to. And my question is, uh, and we read about the abyss or the bottomless pit in a number of places in Revelation, uh, and I believe elsewhere throughout Scripture as well. The question is, who or what dwells in the abyss, in the bottomless pit, which is a part of uh, Hades or hell? Who or what is in there? It's the demonic. It's the, the demons, the fallen angels. It's things that are not of God that dwell in the bottomless pit. It's important to note that uh, humans are not in there at this point in time. And that's important because of what comes out of it uh, later in this fifth trumpet. So remember that the angel came down from heaven uh, with the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Okay, so the pit is opened. You can just imagine the scene, the smoke and the steam, excuse me, the smoke and the steam uh, pours out of this pit as it opens and it goes into the atmosphere and it darkens the sky and it darkens the sun. Kind of like you would see um, a giant uh, bushfire in an area darkening the air and the sun, uh, except this seems to be across the surface of the earth. Verse 3, Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now I just want to pause there. It says locusts came out of the smoke and upon the surface of the earth, or upon the earth. Now, where else do we remember a plague of locusts? Egypt, right? That's when we last hear about a plague of locusts. It's worth noting that those locusts didn't come out of the bottomless pit though. Uh, but I will turn there to Exodus chapter 10, starting at verse 12. Exodus 10 verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, so woo, transferring back in time, uh, back to the time of Moses and Israel in the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So there was a hail plague. Everything that was left, the locusts are going to eat the land. So the locust plague was all about damage to the land, the vegetation, the um, food source, everything in the land of Egypt. So a couple of things. This is limited to the land of Egypt. Second thing is it's limited to the vegetation or the food sources, essentially. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. So these locusts came from the east. They didn't come from the bottomless pit, 
They are already on the earth. They came from the east. Verse 14, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt. There you go. Uh, limited to the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. So what is said there by the Lord is that, uh, that the locusts that got sent to the land of Egypt were limited to Egypt and limited to the vegetation in the land of Egypt. And they were so severe that they had never experienced or there was never such a plague of locusts ever before. And the last bit's interesting nor shall there be such after them, nor shall there be such a plague of locusts as that ever again. What's interesting about that is we have another plague of locusts here, but I thought God just said to Moses or Moses recounted that, that there would never be another plague of locusts such, uh, as severe such as that. So what does that tell us? It tells us something about these locusts that are a bit different. First of all, they're out of the bottomless pit. They're not from the east. They're not from the surface of the earth already. They come out of the bottomless pit. So that's the first clue. Second clue is that they go upon the face of the whole earth. And the third clue we're going to be coming to soon. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Okay, this is interesting. Verse 4 they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth. Okay, hang on a minute. That's a bit different. So now the locusts are commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. So they're not to attack anything that they normally, that locusts normally would attack. They're commanded not to attack those things or any tree. But only who or what? But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So first of all, they're here not to attack the vegetation or the land, but to attack men. So that's the first big difference. The other interesting clue that we have here is that they've been given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So picture a scorpion and how horrid and awful and painful a scorpion bite is. That is the power that was given to these locusts and they were given permission and commanded to attack men, but not the vegetation. Interesting. But it, there was something else here. It also said, but only, only can you attack those men, those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who are those men that have the seal of God on their foreheads? If you go back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, it's referring to the 144,000 Jews who are sealed by God to bring the gospel to the world at that time of the tribulation. So those 144,000 Jews are sealed on the forehead, sealed of God on the forehead, and they are to be protected from this plague of locusts. Interesting. Interesting. Now, the question is, if you are someone who believes that the church goes through the tribulation period, 
If you're someone who believes that the church is present during the tribulation period, so you might hold an amillennialist position or a post-tribulation position in relation to the rapture. But if you believe, because there is going to be a tribulation period, the Bible says so. And if you're someone who believes that the church is going to go through the tribulation period, then you've got yourself a real problem. What is that problem? The problem is that Jesus specifically here in the fifth trumpet judgment sends his wrath and his judgment upon you. That is upon the church. How do I know that? Well, because the judgment precludes only those who are sealed on the forehead by God, who are the 144,000 Jews. The church is not the 144,000 Jews. We, we've discussed this at length, both in the, the rapture series and also in the revelation series. The 144,000 Jews are not the church. So if you believe the church is going through the tribulation period, you've got a real problem because you've got God here, that is Jesus, specifically sending his judgment and wrath upon you, the church, during the tribulation period. Why is that a problem? Well, Jesus also did this other thing, which is kind of important. And what is that? Well, he came to earth, didn't he? And he lived a life and then he died on the cross and he rose again. For what purpose? To take the judgment and wrath of God upon himself as a substitute for you and me. He paid the fine of our judgment. He paid the fine of our uh, um, consequences or wages, if you will, that we were owed for our sin and our sin nature. What was, what was that wage? What was that consequence? It was death. Jesus paid death on the cross once for all so that God's judgment and wrath would be appeased. Why is that a problem? Well, if God's wrath and judgment was appeased on the cross, why is he then pouring out that same judgment and wrath upon you in the tribulation period? You can't have Jesus on the one hand taking his wrath and judgment upon himself on the cross and, and having all of our sins dealt with and wiped away. And on the other hand, having God revealing his judgment and wrath upon you in the fifth trumpet judgment on earth during the tribulation period. Those two things don't work together. So you've got a real problem. And the problem is option A, either the work of Jesus on the cross was not complete and therefore we, the church, still require wrath and judgment. Or option B, we're not here. The only biblical explanation is that we are not here on the earth during the tribulation period. And that is in fact what the Bible teaches. That's important for you to remember. Verse 5. And they were not given, this is speaking about the locusts, they were not given authority to kill them. So they were not given authority to kill everyone, except for the 144,000. They were not given that authority, but to torment them for five months. Again, would Jesus torment the church? Of course we go through trials. Of course we go through testings. But would Jesus torment the church? Biblically, no. 
it doesn't compute. It doesn't match up with your held belief about the church going through the tribulation period. You need to know that. The church is not here. We got raptured before the tribulation period began. We got raptured before the seven-year future tribulation period. We got raptured. A picture of that was back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. But to torment them for five months, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Guys, I want you to picture this. This is five months. A plague of locusts that are innumerable all over the face of the earth. Keep in mind that these locusts, we'll read soon, are not like regular locusts. But even if they were like regular locusts, five months of them over the face of the whole earth and they can't attack the vegetation or the trees, but they are to attack the people. And the attack that is inflicted is that of a scorpion. Five months. Can you imagine the reality of that situation is that you would have to hide indoors for five months or risk going out of doors and getting tortured or tormented, as the Lord said here, tormented by scorpion-like creatures in order to do anything outside. So you have five months of hiding away in fear from these creatures. Except for who? Well, you see, you've got 144,000 Jewish witnesses who are probably, during that time, and I'm just conjecturing here, but they're immune to the attacks of these creatures. These creatures are not attacking the food source. They're not attacking the trees. They're not attacking uh, the vegetation or anything. So potentially you've got these 144,000 Jewish witnesses rolling around the earth, out of doors, going for long walks along the beach, having picnics, perhaps. I'm conjecturing, of course, but the point is they can be outdoors among this plague because they're immune to it. Now, I can only imagine that... uh, If that was the case, and we know that it is likely to be the case, because if you know know that you're going to go outside and get attacked by a scorpion-like creature, innumerable amount of them, you're going to stay indoors. If you know that you're immune to them, there's no dramas. You can go from house to house. You can walk around. These witnesses are probably going to go house to house to minister to the people, to bring them foods, but most importantly, to bring them the good news of the gospel. Again, I'm conjecturing here, but many will come to resent them for being immune to this plague. But there will be many also, I believe, who will see that as a divine blessing and a divine protection and will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ simply because of their immunity to that plague. It's going to be incredible to see And I'm glad to say I'm going to be seeing it from up there and not from down here. Verse 7, the shape of the locust. So we get more details about these locusts now. And this is the next clue. I think we're up to four or 
uh, clue number four or five that tells us why these are not regular locusts like that which was experienced in Moses' time, which is exactly why it's true to say there was never a plague of locusts such as that ever again, because this is something entirely different. Verse 7. Now, I want you to understand a few things as we go through this portion from verse 7 onwards for a bit. There's lots of descriptive words. There's, not, there's lots of uh, as this or like this or like that or this thing like that. Whenever you hear the word like, obviously it means that John is saying, I don't quite know what this is, but it looks a bit like this thing that I know. What that means is it's not this thing that he knows, but that it looks like that thing. It doesn't mean that this thing isn't literal, isn't real, isn't right there in front of him. It's a literal thing that is hard for John to describe. So let's start and and see what we mean. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. So what we know for sure is that the locusts had a shape. They had a shape about them. They were a real creature that had a real shape. And John described that shape as being like horses prepared for battle. So what we know for sure is that it wasn't horses prepared for battle, but that it looked like that. And horses prepared for battle, you can picture having uh, armor and saddles and stuff over its head and that sort of thing. So it had a shape and it looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, so we know that they had heads. On their heads were crowns. We know that on their heads had crowns, which would fit with the um, prepared for battle picture, had something on their heads. It was a crown that was on their head. But then read on. A crown of something like gold. So it was a crown, a literal crown on the heads of these creatures. What was it? What was it made out of? We don't know. John says it looked like gold, something like gold. Really important that you don't just symbolize this stuff. This is not talking about something random. This is talking about a literal thing and John is describing it in the best way that he can. And their faces, again, they had faces. These creatures had faces. And the faces were like the faces of men. So they weren't the faces of men, but they looked like the faces of men. Verse 8, they had hair again. Literal thing. They had hair. But the hair was like women's hair. So presumably it was long. It's what I'm thinking. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth. So again, that's a literal thing. John could see the teeth. They had teeth like lion's teeth. So the teeth were like lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. So again, they had real breastplates and those breastplates were like that of iron. And the sound of their wings. So again, John didn't say that they had something that looked like wings. They actually had wings. Obviously, they're locusts-like, so they're flying around. 
and the wings were like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Verse 10, they had tails, okay? So these creatures had tails and they were like scorpions. So the tails were real. The tails looked like, John said, like a scorpion tail, curled up at the back like so, ready to attack. Um, their power was to hurt men five months. So they were given power to hurt men for five months. That's literally what it was. Again, if you argue or try to argue with me that the church is here during this time, I'm sorry, but it's laughable that you can argue that on the one hand and claim that Jesus, our groom, that is the groomsman of the bride, so our husband-to-be would give power to these creatures to hurt his bride. It's just unfathomable. Verse 11, And they had as king over them. Okay, that's interesting. It says the word as, as king. So it's kind of like someone had control over them. All right? It didn't say that there was a king. It said that there was like a king over them. And they had as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. Angel in the bottomless pit. We can only assume that that is a demon of some kind, uh, a fallen angel uh, who's ended up in the bottomless pit. Whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon, Apollyon, it means destroyer. So what we, do, what we see here. Uh, and what we can know for sure is that whatever this uh, creature is, who is like the king over these locusts, his name is Destroyer. He's in the bottomless pit. And it seems that we're getting a glimpse of perhaps there being some kind of hierarchy in hell, as there is a hierarchy in heaven, a perfect one in heaven, an imperfect one in hell. Verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these. Remember, three woes, the three last trumpets. The, the first woe is this one, which is the releasing out of the bottomless pit of a plague of demonic locusts, which roam the face of the earth, tormenting and torturing all men upon the face of the earth, except for the 144,000. And I can only imagine that that 144,000 is going from place to place, home to home, teaching the gospel, um, caring for the needs of the people and winning souls to Christ. Incredible, but also horrible, horrible judgment from God upon an unbelieving world. The first woe, the second woe. Verse 13, then the sixth angel, the sixth trumpet judgment sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. That altar is the same altar uh, that the tribulation saints are under uh, that we read about in Revelation 6 verse 9. It's the altar before God in the throne room. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, so a voice from the golden altar says to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Okay. 
Do you remember the river Euphrates? There's a, there's a river called Euphrates now, and we know of it, and it's in the land of Egypt, or it borders, uh, not the land of Egypt, sorry, the land of Israel. It's actually outside of the land of Israel, but it, it was the border of, here, let me read this. So the Euphrates River, first mentioned in Genesis 2 verse 14, and where was it mentioned? What was it mentioned from? It was mentioned as being uh, the river that flowed through Eden. The river that flowed through Eden broke off into four as it left the garden, broke off into four branches, four shoots. One of those was the river Euphrates. Now, obviously, since then, we've gone through the flood so the formation of it would look different, but there's still a river Euphrates uh, in the Middle East now as we speak. And the river Euphrates is the same river that ancient uh, civilizations, ancient cities were based upon or situated along, such as Babylon, Nippur, and Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, which Abraham came out of. Uh, it was also the northeastern boundary of the promised land of Israel. So northeastern boundary of the promised land of Israel. I did that backwards on your screen. Sorry about that, probably. Uh, but northeast. So if you picture, go and look at a map. If you picture where the Euphrates is now, all this hoo-ha about Israel and occupied, occupied territories, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not even in the land of Israel. That's so far outside of the land of Israel, it's not funny. That was all the land of Israel. That was the northeastern boundary. Um, it's also the, uh, right now, oh, sorry, it was also the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire went right up to that point uh, and uh, is, was considered the boundary separating the east from the west, if you will. So it was that river in the Middle East, and it is that river in the Middle East in the future, in the future tribulation period, that God reveals something very interesting. And he reveals that even now, there are four angels bound at the Euphrates River. The words that are used here is release, release the four angels who are bound. Okay, what's important to note about that is that these are not godly angels because godly angels are not bound. These are uh, fallen angels. These are demons that are currently, presently, and will until this moment in the future be bound along the river Euphrates. Interesting. wonder what they're doing. Um, it can't be good what they're, what they're doing. How much are they bound? Maybe they're completely bound as Satan will be during the millennium. And maybe they have no impact there at the moment. But what they will have is an impact when they are released. Verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. So these angels were bound long ago, presumably, and prepared for this very hour and day and month and year. Were released to kill a third of mankind. Okay, I'm just going to pause there. There's a lot of killing going on. This sixth trumpet judgment brings in another uh, intense judgment upon the world. And so we have, if we backtrack a little bit, 
Do you remember the fourth seal judgment? The fourth seal judgment of Revelation 6.8, a quarter of the earth's population died at that point. But I'm going to take back even a little bit further. So right now, we've got about 8.1, 8.2 billion people in the world. We are so close to the rapture occurring, this close to the rapture. It could happen at any moment, and everything is lining up in Bible prophecy that says it's coming real soon, Lord willing, in our lifetime. So if you've got 8.1, 8.2 million people, you've then got the church being raptured. And we talked uh, a week or two ago about the fact that there is likely anywhere between 1 billion and 2 billion Christians in the world at the moment, like real Christians. So let's say the high end, 2 billion. So the rapture, you get 2 billion removed from the earth. So you're left with 6 billion. If you fast forward a little bit of time to the fourth seal judgment, you lose a quarter of that. So let's say one and a half billion. This will work with my maths a little bit better. Let's say one and a half billion. Um, uh, oh no, no, that's right. My math, I had my maths right in the first place. So we're six billion population after the rapture. A quarter of that gone at the fourth seal means you lose another one and a half billion people. And you're left with only four and a half billion people on the earth at this point. Now, I might add cheekily, this is working into the favor, favor of, uh, of the environmentalists because they, they, of course, want to depopulate the earth uh, for environmental purposes. God will certainly do that, uh, but uh, not the way that you intend or for the purpose that you hold. Um, so after the fourth seal, we're down to about four and a half billion people. Now we hit the sixth trumpet. And at four and a half billion people, we lose another one third, which is another one and a half billion people. So in both the fourth seal judgment and the sixth trumpet judgment, the world is losing about a one and a half billion people each time. So that brings the earth's population roughly down to about three billion people after this judgment. That's crazy. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the, of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So the army of the horsemen that was doing this um, killing, because what happened is uh, these angels were released to do this killing, but they had some help. What was the help? A seemingly an army of the horsemen and there was 200 million in this army. And thus, verse 17, And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, high, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke and brimstone. Just want to pause there. A few things we can know for sure. First thing is that he saw horses. He didn't see something like horses. So there were horses. Uh, there, were peop there was something sitting on the horses. And this something sitting on the horses had breastplates of red and blue and yellow. But the heads of the horses, the head, uh, horses obviously had heads. The heads of the horses were like, so they looked like the heads of lions. Interesting. And out of their mouths, 
doesn't say came something like, out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. I just want to pause there. First thing I want to say is, uh, this is a massive army. Probably the only country in the world that could uh, mount an army this big uh, at this stage in history is China. And some argue that this is in some way connected to uh, fast forward to Revelation 16 and the kings of the east coming and it's somehow connected to uh, the kings of the east which assumed to be China uh, and their allies and in some way it's connected to that. First thing I want to say is chronologically it's, it's totally out and it doesn't make sense. But second thing I want to say is that these things like the previous trumpet seem to be demonic in nature. Now, the confirmation that we had from the previous trumpet is that those locusts came out of the bottomless pit. We don't have that confirmation here. It doesn't say that they came out of the bottomless pit, but it does say that the four fallen angels or demons are the ones that initiate this army. It says that there's 200 million of them, which is uh, unlikely for any human army, even though perhaps China, but the other thing is interesting. The other thing that it says is that these horses that they're riding on have what looks like heads like a lion. Now, first of all, uh, I know that there's no such thing as a horse with a lion head or a horse, sorry, should I say, with a head that looks like a lion. So that's the first thing that, that should give you a clue that it's a bit weird. The second thing that should be a, a, a strong clue for you is that out of their mouths literally came fire, smoke, and brimstone. I don't know of a horse in existence that uh, spews out fire, smoke, and brimstone. That's not a thing, at least not an earthly thing. So we're talking about a demonic army. What I can only assume is that it's the evil opposite of what, um, uh, oh, is it Elijah or Elisha? I always forget. But saw surrounding him in, uh, look, I'll take you back there super quickly. We're probably running out of time. 2 Kings 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 16. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, 2 Kings Chapter 6, starting, was it chapter 6? Starting at verse 16, 2 Kings 6, 16. Uh, do, so he answered, do not fear, it's Elisha. Elisha, not Elijah. Uh, do not fear, for those who are with us, I love this, are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the servant of Elisha. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Literal horses, literal chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray. I pray with blindness and he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Um, that was the army of God on horses with chariots of fire. I can only presume here in Revelation that this is the army of the demonic realm with horses that spew out smoke and fire and brimstone out of their mouths. Verse 19, for their power is in their mouth 
and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents. That certainly doesn't sound like any human army that I know, and that certainly gives credence to uh, the concept that these are demonic. Uh, serpent being connected to Satan. These are demonic. This is a demonic army. Uh, tails like serpents. So they had literal tails and those tails were like serpents' tails. Having heads. So these tails had heads. And with them, they do harm. So out of their mouth, fire, smoke and brimstone and tails do harm also. Uh, but the rest of the mankind, that is not the third... But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did... And this is incredible. I can't understand this. You would assume after six seal judgments and six... This is now the sixth trumpet judgment, the second woe. Horrific, horrific judgments where you've got now um, uh, at least three billion people in the population being killed after 2 billion or, or thereabouts got raptured. And you've got these incredible judgments, supernatural judgments coming upon the world. The ministry of the two witnesses, the ministry of the 144,000 Jews, we'll, we'll get to the two witnesses in a couple of weeks. You've got all of this happening that is clearly uh, of, of divine origin and yet crazy. The ones that are still alive, verse 20, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Did not repent of the works of their hands and they should, uh, that they should not worship demons. They continue to worship demons and idols of God. They continue to worship idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, every kind of idol they continue to worship which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They're useless, useless idols. They don't repent of it. They continue to worship them as God, putting themselves as God. Verse 21, And they did not repent of their murders. They continue to murder. Of their sorceries, they continue to play with the demonic realm. Or their sexual immorality, they continued to lust after the flesh. Or their thefts, they continue to raid and pillage uh, the world, they did not repent. Sadly, so much judgment is still to come and yet they refuse to repent. But you know what? What a picture that is of our world now. God has done such mighty works in the world. Every day we see the handiwork of God. Every day we see God's creation. On Sunday we talked about this. God's handiwork in creation leaves mankind without excuse of the knowledge of God. God has revealed himself through creation. We've got the Bible. We've got the mighty works of God every day. We've got the divine works of God every day now and still people don't repent. In the tribulation period when the church is not there, we will have the divine judgments of God and people will still not repent. How awful that will be. Praise God that we are not destined for a time such as that. We will be raptured before the tribulation period begins. That is the end of Revelation chapter 9. It brings us uh, up to uh, the end of the... Oh, not well. 
There's still a little bit more of the sixth trumpet, but it brings us to the end of the major six trumpet judgments, if you will, and all, all of the uh, seal judgments. Next week, we're going to check out Revelation 10 and uh, continue this journey together. So I hope that you'll join us. I hope that this is a blessing for you. Continue to search the scriptures and test all the things that you've heard today. Thanks so much for joining us for another Gather and Gain Prophecy Times podcast. Looking forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday at, well, maybe, maybe at 5 p.m. We'll see how we go, but we'll see you next Wednesday anyway. Much love and God bless.